Welcome everybody to Sunday service here at New Philadelphia Church Seaside. Hope you guys, uh, that was a good time of, of praise, amen? amen. You know, I really believe that, you know, today, you know, Brother Mark is joining us from Seoul. And, uh, you know, every time Mark comes down, uh, worship is good. You know, and I think the enemy got a little ticked off and so he wanted to pluck one of his guitar strings. I really think that's what happens, you know. I like, I remember Pastor John Newfield, he's a, the worship pastor of our church He's up in Seoul. Uh, he's he he's in the Hillside campus, and he would lead worship, and man, he would break a string every Sunday. Not even kidding, every Sunday. And he uses expensive twenty-dollar strings, you know, like like the stuff that like you know they don't come cheap. You know, they're strong. They're like you know they're the top of the the line, and they would break, you know. And I really believe that it was this enemy trying to just trying to get at our worship. But every time the, a string would break, the worship would be that much greater that Sunday. I mean, like people would press in, people would push in, and we and I think that's what we experienced today. You know, it was an amazing time of worship. I was really blessed. I hope you guys were blessed as well. I'm gonna go straight into my message today. Uh, I think a lot of us we ask this question: Why am I here? I'm not talking about why am I here uh, in the sanctuary right now, you know, or why am I here, you know? But the question of why do I exist? You know, what is my purpose in life? If you've asked this question, I want, to, I want you guys to raise your hand. At one point in your life, if you've asked this question, raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, something's wrong with you. <laughs> you know? Sister Anna, can you turn on the heater real quick? Uh, let's get, get a little cold in here. Uh, maybe uh, Jen can help her translate what it says. Turn it down. But, um, <laughs> sorry. It's all in Korean, and it's like, I don't know some of the words on that. I, I couldn't turn it on. Uh, but I think we all ask this question. It's a question that's been asked throughout the ages. Great minds throughout history and all throughout the world, in all different countries, all different cultures have asked this question throughout history. You know, It's a question as old as time. And today people are praying. They're paying therapists and counselors hundreds if not thousands of dollars to somehow figure out this answer. And at some point in their lives, everyone at, uh, has asked this question. And for the Christians, you know, the believers, this question is a little bit different. This question becomes, what is God's call for my life? What's God purp- God's purpose for my life? And to, and to go on to ask the question, how should God's calling affect the decisions that I make, the work that I do, the future plans that I make, and what I deem as successful, what I think is success for me? Have you guys ever asked these questions? Today, I'm going to begin a series of sermons about developing your sense of call. You know, it's, it's developing your sense of call, God's calling for your life. Knowing your purpose in life is essential for all believers. You know, it's essential for all people. There's people out there that go around, and they don't, they don't really care what my purpose is. You know? and they, they'll spend their whole life at a job like doing something that they don't like, with people that they don't get along with. And at the end of their life, they look back and like, man, my life wasn't that meaningful. Without a sense of call, life can, can, it can really suck for you. <laughs> I wrote that and I was like, should I say it? <laughs> it can be pretty miserable. Without a sense of calling, you know, it, it's not going to be pleasant. You know, they, there's even Christians that live their lives like this. 
There's Christians that live their whole lives with no care of what God's calling is on their life. And at the end of their life, they'll look back and say, what have I really done for the kingdom of God? What have I done? Have I accomplished anything? Have I done anything? And without a sense of call on your life, you're never going to get to a place where you're going to know what those things are going to be. Without a sense of call, your job will feel pointless. You'll be reluctant to make plans or even set goals in your life. You're going to be fickle and you're going to be unbalanced. You're going to be like going from one job to another job or or living here and then, oh, I want to go live here. And some people, they like this lifestyle. They're like, oh, I'm a free spirit. I go where is that? Please, you know, I'm going to go here, you know. But, you know, if you really look at those free spirits, if you really sit down and kind of talk with them, there's a, there's a little bit of hopelessness inside of them. Look, there's a reason why they're going from one place to another. Yeah, it's exciting at first, but after a while, it starts to, it starts to weigh on you. You're not able to, 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 to really establish where you're supposed to be, what you're, su- you're supposed to be doing, and in, one capa- in what capacity you're supposed to be doing these things. Uh, your life seems, it has no meaning without a purpose. You can't rejoice with friends who are experiencing God's plans for their lives because without your own sense of calling, you're going to be brought to a point of jealousy. You're going to be like, man, he has such a good call in his life. What about me? Your sense of call is central to your very existence. In order to have a life of any kind of fulfillment, you need to have a sense of call. I want you guys to tell your neighbor, you need a sense of call on your life. You know, like you can develop, like, your sense of smell. Now, you know, you guys don't know, but I have a really bad sense of smell. Like, like I'll, I'll something, and then Mina would be like, man, that stinks. I was like, man, I don't smell it. Like, these pants, like, I, I wore these to work the other day, and then we were in the car, and Mina was like, man, you smell like grease. You smell like food. And I was like, I don't smell anything. I, and I really have a bad sense of smell. But I did, I Googled sense of smell. And there's things you can do to kind of, like, like increase your sense of smell. One of those things is to blow your nose more. You know, like, like you, you need to, uh, uh, like, take short sniffs instead of long, like, you know. And all these little things where you can really heighten and increase your sense of smell. You know, you can, you, there's things you can do to increase uh, your hand-eye coordination. I have really bad hand-eye coordination. My Mina has really good hand-eye coordination. When she goes to a batting cage, man, she is good. And like, I remember we were dating, and I was like, man, I'll show you. And then like, I hit like three balls, and then she goes up there, and she like hit every single one. I felt really stupid. <laughs> I was like, my wife is better, my, my girlfriend is better than me. But you know, there's things I can do to develop my hand-eye coordination, my sense of hand-eye coordination. You can, there's things to develop your humor. You know, develop other senses that you have, your hearing, your sight. And today I'm not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about how you can develop your sense of call. And what I'm, I'm not talking about you discovering your sense of, your calling. Okay? It's different from you discovering your calling. Okay? When you discover your calling, you know what to do. Now I can, right now, I could sit Catherine down and pray with her. And, and, and we, we can, we, along with the help of God, we can come to a decision of what Catherine's calling is for her life right now. We could do that. I could do that for her. But that's only going to help her right now. That's only going to help her 
at this moment, what she's supposed to do right now. But if you develop a sense of calling, a sense of call on your life, you're going you're to be able to do this throughout your life. It's going to be something. It's going to be the ability to discover your, 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 the God, call of God's call on your life at any, at any point in your life. It's, a lot, it's like that thing. You can give a man a fish, and he has a fish. But if you teach a man to fish, he goes fishing, and he can catch more fish. And he has more fish. You know what I mean? You can feed him. Well, how does that go? Like, oh, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. If you teach a man to fish, he fishes. Yeah. The former will help you in the meantime. The latter will help you for a lifetime. The former will get you in the right direction. It will point you into the right direction. But the latter, when you dis- develop a sense of call on your life, it's going to keep you on that right direction. It will ke- it'll keep you steadfast, going the right way. Some of you guys know that, uh, um, some of you guys right now, you guys know the calling that you have on your life. Like, man, I'm supposed to be this. God's, God's going to make me a CEO of this major corporation. I'm going to, you know, like feed a bunch of people. And I'm going to set this up and that up. But what are you doing right now to get there? You know what I mean? And a lot of people, there's people that know their calling. They just don't know how to get there. They just don't know how to develop a sense of call that's going to daily, day by day, get them to that place where they achieve and they they know and they realize their calling. Brothers and sisters, we need to develop a sense of call. And, uh, and today, you know, I'm just going to get started. But before we get started and developing a sense of call, we need to first establish the foundational truth that God has a purpose for you. Some people don't believe that. Some people believe like, man, God has a purpose for these people and that people for me. Maybe not me. Or some people think like God just doesn't care. He's like this omnipotent person in the sky that just like is throwing dice to kind of see what Mina Choi does or, or Mina Lee, uh, what Mark does, you know. Because of doubt, apathy, or just ignorance, they don't believe that God has a purpose for their life. Most of the time, it's a lie of the enemy. It's a lie that says, you know what, God doesn't care about me. It's a lie that says, you know what, God's not, God doesn't care what you do, you're a loser. Look at you. you. You're lame. You have no gifts. You have no talents. You might as well just do what comes naturally to you. Just do you know, whatever's comfortable for you and just have a meager existence. That's the lie of the enemy. And that lie is spoken to almost everybody at one point in their life. It's a, it's a lie. The lies of the enemy. Apathy, doubt. It keeps us from, from not realizing that we have a purpose from God. I'm going I'm to read to you Jeremiah 29, 11. This, was, this is one of my favorite verses, and this is what really brought me out of kind of the depths of my depression back in the days. And it's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I like the NIV version of this a lot better. Because the people that write the ESV, they have, a, they have a problem with the word prosper. They're like, God will give you welfare. You know, when you hear the word welfare, it's like the bare minimum, right? You get a welfare check, it's supposed to basically pay for food, you know, pay for, or for bus, and that's it. You know, that's welfare. 
You know, and, and the, the ESV translated, the, the, the word here, welfare or prosper, the word is shalom. And the word shalom could be translated in, 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 in the Hebrew as, as, as prosperity, as welfare. It's a lot. It's peace. It's like this versatile word. And the ESV translators, you know, they're, they're the ones that kind of are really opposed to the, the prosperity and, and, and the, the, what is that, the, the prosperity gospel, that they really, they, they, they choose to kind of take out prosperity from, from, these, from these verses. But, you know, with the NIV, the King James, most of the, when you read it, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's that word shalom, to prosper. You know, and if, if you were here um, two weeks ago and you heard my sermon about the goodness of God, you know, you're going to know that God is good, amen? amen. But there's people that, that think that God, when you put your whole faith in God, God's going to make you do some crazy stuff. Like go be a martyr or like go to like, you know, Afghanistan and, and take care of widows, you know? And, and do some crazy stuff. They, they, they think that God, you know, if you, like, it's almost that point where I can't trust God with my life because he might make me do something crazy. He might make me give up all my possessions and, you know, give it to the poor or something. But, you know, we know that God is good. And whatever purposes and plans that he has for you, those plans are going to be good. It's going to be a, it's a good plan. Why? Because God is a good God. You know, some people are, think that God is in heaven ready to just punish us at any moment. Like my mom. Ha ha, I got you. You know, like the way that I'm a teacher. I'd be like, hi, I saw you do that. Go stand in the corner over there. Raise your hands in the air. Close your eyes. You know? that, 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 that's kind of mean, huh? Uh, that, you know, they, but a lot of people, they believe that. They believe that that's the type of God that we have. But when we learn the true character of our God, we know that our God is good, that he, he, he has good plans, and he has good gifts for those that love him. And then it says that he wants to prosper you. He wants to give you hope and a future. He, his plans for us are good. You know, he doesn't have plans for you to go through a season of begging for food on the street. His plans aren't for you to to have a failed marriage. You know, his plans aren't for you to, to lose your job. Somebody else has these plans for you. But it's not God. He has good plans for you because God is good. He wants to prosper you, give you hope, a future. He wants, to have, he wants you to have, a, have favor. He wants you to, have, to live abundantly. It says in the word of God, John 10.10, 10, that he came so that we can have life, but life abundantly. I don't know, last time you checked what abundantly means, but it means to have a lot. It means to have more than enough. It's not welfare. Abundantly, so that we can overflow, that we can give out of the overflow of what we have. Now, he might, he might call you to go through some hardships in your life, some hard times, but it's just for a little while. It won't be forever. And that little bit of suffering that you might be going through, there's a purpose in that. And God uses that to, to raise your character, to open doors and give you opportunities in your life. God has a good and specific plan for each and every one of your lives. 
He doesn't leave your life to random chance. There's people that believe that it's all like just some random thing. That God is up in heaven with a dice. All right. AJ is going to be a janitor, I guess. And then he's like, let's see. Oh, Mark, he's going to... He's gonna have. He's he's gonna be uh, a teacher. It's not God's not like that. God's not up in here throwing dice or playing kai bai bow or rock scissor paper. But people, that's what they believe. They believe everything is random chance, and that's that. And that that's the type of God that we have. But He has a specific call. He has a specific purpose only you can fulfill. Do you guys know that? You have a unique assignment that no one else on earth can fulfill except for you. No one else on earth now and no one else on earth that ever was existed from the beginning of time. There's no one in the history of man that can fulfill the purposes that God has for you, specifically for you. Trevor Avila, you will you'll be born and you will meet these people and you will come in contact and do this and that. You know, God has a specific call. That only you can fulfill. Ephesians 2.10. You are the workmanship. You are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. God prepared good works for you beforehand. He means that he has a, he has a plan for you. You know. It's not up to random chance. These plans that God has for us are specific, and they have purpose in them. He has prepared these beforehand. And you know what? If God told you what some of your assignments were today, you'd probably laugh at them. You know, Because, you know, God has laughable promises. Remember when, when, when God came to Abraham and said, your wife will have a baby. And Abraham's like, ah! And he literally says that he fell forward. He fell on his face and he laughed. <laughs> he laughed because it was a laughable promise. Like Sarah was like in her 90s. She was an old woman. You know, she was, she was, she was a high money, you know. And he was like, he's like, and then when Sarah heard this, Sarah laughed. Sarah was like, ha, you are crazy. What are you talking about? But God is a God of laughable promises. Amen. You know, if God came to me last year in April. That a year from now, I will be married and as a, be a pastor in the city of Busan, I would have laughed at God. I'd be like, you crazy, God. I wasn't even dating anybody. You know, I, had, I, I, was, I was a kindergarten teacher, making kids stand in the corner. I'm like, what are you talking about, God? Me, a pastor, be married? You're crazy. But you know, a year later, I am married, and I, have a, I am a pastor in a, in a church in Busan, and it, it, it all happened because God revealed his plan for me little by little. Our God is a God of laughable promises, and he is a God that, gives a, that has good plans for us. You know, and, and God's plans are specific. God had a plan for you to be born where you were born, where you were born, you know, he had a a plan to, for you to grow up exactly where you grew up. 
You know, he chose your temperament. He chose your gifts. He chose your talents. You know, he chose how tall you were going to be. He, it's funny. He chooses how tall you're going to be, but he doesn't choose how wide you're going to be. You know what I mean? Kind of like, kind of like what Pastor Benjamin was talking about. You're as, you're as, you're as, you know, skinny as you want to be. Yeah. And, and I thought about this. I was like, I was walking my dog the other day. I was like, it's a biblical principle here. You know, God, God chooses us, right? So we can't control the vertical, but the horizontal. Our, our brothers and sisters that we have, we could control that. You know, God, you know, there's, it's funny, but, you know, God has a specific call, specific details of your life. He chose, you know, how, how you know, how, like the, the gifts that you have, how funny you are. He chose how you look. He chose your ethnicity. He chose what color hair you were going to have. You know, he chose all these things. And God chose all these things and made you unique because he has a specific call for you. A purpose for you. And you guys all got to catch this now. That there is a purpose on each and every one of your lives. There is a specific purpose. You know, the devil loves to sniff out these purposes. He loves to sniff out these callings. And some of you that had hardships in your, when you were young, when you guys had traumas in your life, like a direct attack from the enemy, you know, it, was, it, it could have been a direct attack from the enemy to basically... To, to prevent you from fulfilling your call. You know, sometimes a sign of somebody that has a great call in their lives is marked with a lot of suffering and attack. You know, it's usually the devil. He tries to sniff it out because you know, he hates your talent. He hates what you possess. He hates the gifts that you have. He hates all of these things, so he's threatened by you. And so he's going to go and try to take you out. Take you out before your calling becomes full. He tries to kill in infancy what he can't kill in adulthood. But don't be afraid because the God that gives you your calling is greater than the one that's trying to, than the enemy that's trying to take out your calling. And if you remain steadfast in the Lord, those hardships, God will turn it around for your good. You know, the, the devil tried to use my stupidity to, to take away my calling. I did a lot of stupid things. I'm not going to go into them now. But, you know, he, 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 he sniffed me out and he used, you know, all these things to kind of take out my, my calling in my life when I, was, when I was in my 20s. But, you know, God restores everything. It says in Joel 2.25, I will restore to you the years of the, that the locusts have eaten. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. And God has plans for us. God has a call for your life, but some of us, we end up doing what our family wants us to do. Some Koreans' parents, Koreans parents, some Korean parents, they got it twisted. They get the word of God. They, they, they look at the Ten Commandments, and they say, you know what it says in the Ten Commandments? That shall obey your mother and father. They got it twisted. They think that, 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 that the word of God tells their children that they need to do what they, they want to do. They want them to do. But it says in the word of God, it says, honor your mother and father. Honor your parents. But at one point, if the words that are coming out of your parents, what they're telling you to do conflicts with the call of God on your life, you got to honor your parents, but you got to follow the call of God. You got to follow the call of God. You can't let your parents dictate what the call of God is on your life. 
is God dictates the call that's on your life. So many parents, especially Korean parents, they take their plans for their children as God's plan. They'll be like, you know what? God, God wants you to be a doctor. <laughs> really? Because God wants me, I think God wants me to be something else. Korean parents, all parents, they have a little bit of that. And when, when you follow the things that your parents want you to do, when you, when you follow the things that you think that you, you should be doing, you know, you, eventually you get to a point where it all just doesn't fit anymore. You know, something is missing. Something isn't right. Something feels off. You know? Like when you, have you ever been to Ikea in America? And you buy something. You got to make everything that comes from Ikea, right? And one time I bought this, this, like, thing, this chair kind of thing from Ikea. And I put it together. And I had like five parts left over at the end. <laughs> and I was like, man, it looks all right. <laughs> I, think, I think it could support my weight. Let's just use it. And every time we use it, it'd be like, oh, man, something is wrong, man. <laughs> it's just not, I don't think it's supposed to lean like this, you know? And, and it's, just so, it's just not right, you know what I mean? And then, you know, when you follow a calling that's not from God, that's how you feel in your life. It just, not, it just doesn't feel right. Things aren't, it just feels like it's off a little bit. That's going to be your experience without developing your sense of call, God's call in your life. And today I want to help you develop your sense of call. That you can de- discover the details of God's plan for you for a lifetime. And we're going to go look at uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. This is the famous uh, passage about Mary and Martha. And I'll read it to you right now. Okay. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now this is that famous story. We've all heard it. And I think, you know, when I was growing up, I used to think Martha got a bad rap. She got a bad deal, you know. When you think of Mary, you know, even when I was a little kid, I would imagine Mary, and she's the skinny, long-haired, beautiful woman, very elegant and gracious, sitting at the feet of Jesus, like listening. And then when I would imagine Martha, you know, y'all, be honest, you guys, you guys imagine a chubby woman with like short hair, wearing an apron, kind of short, you know. That's just the natural the way that our mind works, you know what I mean? But I really, yeah, that, all my life, I, 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 I try to draw Martha, fat girl, Mary, skinny girl. You know, that's just the way that our mind works. But, you know, in this story, we, we, the, the truth that we get from this is that, you know, Martha here kind of gets a bad rap. Because what? What is Martha doing? What's, what's she doing? She's, she's getting the food ready. She's doing what she's supposed to do. She's cleaning up the kitchen. She's cutting up the fruit for Jesus. You know, she's hanging up their clothes. She's doing all these things, putting their sandals away. Sweeping after them, you know? And she's serving the people of God. She's serving. You know, it's, 
And it says in the word of God, Jesus says, whoever wants to be the greatest among you must be a servant to all. Amen? And that's what Martha was doing. She has the right idea. She's getting things done. She's being a servant to the guests. She's being a servant to all. She's doing what Jesus was calling her to do. At one point, Jesus told people that you need to be a servant to all. He was answering, she was answering God's call. And what was Mary doing? She's doing nothing. She's sitting there just listening. But what does Jesus say here? Okay, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Martha's, you know, she's probably thinking, what is Jesus talking about? Choose a good portion, man. She needs to choose and do some work. <laughs> you know? Like she, she's probably like, you know, like she's not understanding the words that are coming out of Jesus' mouth. But in order to understand Jesus' response, it's important to look at what Jesus was responding to. It says in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted. Jesus wasn't responding to the things that she was doing because the things that she was doing is good. Serving, you know, cutting up that fruit, you know, getting the, the tea ready, you know, whatever they drank back then. That's all good stuff. But, and, but Jesus isn't responding to the things that she was doing. Jesus is responding to her being distracted. It said, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And what does it mean to be distracted? You're supposed to be doing something, but then you end up doing something else. And that's what, and that's what being distracted is, right? You all are supposed to be listening to my sermon right now, but some of us are tapping away on their cell phones. Oh, I'm just kidding. I didn't look at you or anything. What? I did not accuse you, girl. <laughs> I just looked in that general direction, and the, the conviction of the Lord came down upon me. You know, that's what being distracted is, right? You're supposed to be doing something, and then you, you, but you're doing something else. You know, at night before I go to bed, I'm supposed I'm supposed to spend time with my wife. I'm supposed to talk with her, you know, engage with her, cuddle with her, you know, sing her to sleep. Stroke her hair. But what do I do? I get distracted and I watch NFL Network on my iPad. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's when, that's when Fantasy Update comes up and I'll be like, I got to watch this, man. That's, that's being distracted. Now, you know, there is time when you need to get the business you got to do and you got to serve. There is a time where you have to serve, you know. And our core value, one of our core values is to be faithful in the small thing. And you need to be faithful in serving. You need to serve the house. In the, in the, it'd be faithful in the small things. But there is also a time to simply just sit at his feet. And when you, when you need to be sitting at his feet and you're doing something else, that is a distraction. And the lesson here isn't about, about serving people. It's not saying that serving people is bad, that it's a distraction, you know. But <laughs> what? <laughs> Y'all are distracted. I'm not saying that serving people are, you know, you could put anything here. Like, you know, going out on missions. You know, like, like you know, uh, getting the service team, getting the, the snacks ready. You know, that could all be considered a distraction. And we're not saying that these things are bad. But when it replaces what needs to come first, it's a distraction. Ministry 
counseling people, you know, fellowship, all good things, all vital to the Christian experience. But if it replaces what needs to come first, it's a distraction. You have to put thing, first things first. You've got to know the priority. You've got to put the fundamentals first. You've got you to make sure that the foundations come first. Have you ever seen a building in Korea go up? Man, a building in Korea goes up. We moved to uh, the right by Centum City, you know, right? We can see the BIFF building, like, kind of from our, from our parking lot. And then we looked one day, and there was a building, like, directly behind it that wasn't there before. And we've only been here for, like, what, six months or 10 months, right? And, like, within that 10 months, like, all of a sudden it just came up. We didn't even see it before. It was like a, it seemed like a blank lot before that, you know. But what you don't see is the years, and I'm talking about years, that the people were down in the foundation, getting that foundation secure so that bu- that building can go up quickly. Right? It's that story of the bamboo tree. The bamboo tree, like the Chinese bamboo tree, like Pastor Christian uses it, is, is like a little stub for like, for like nine years just stays like a little stub, and you just got to water this little stub. And then they say within like a few days, like 21 days, it shoots up to like 91 feet. And I thought it was 9 feet, and I did, I Googled that joint, and it's 91 feet. <laughs> I mean, it shoots up. You can, they say you could see it grow. If you sit there and stare for like a couple of hours, <laughs> you can see it grow. That's how fast it grows. But it's not accounting for like the years that it just remained a stub. It was on the ground, just sticking out of the ground. I don't know if you've ever seen a bamboo shoot when it's a little, when it's a baby, but it's, it looks like a stub. And it remains like that for many years. You know, another example is basketball. You know, who's good at basketball here? AJ, I know you're good at basketball. Yeah, Anthony, I know Anthony's good. He's got that graceful. <laughs> you know, that, you know, I can see it. You know, he's, I, know, I know he's good. I, I'm not good. You know why? Because I learned, you know, I learned basketball the wrong way. Like a lot of people, when you learn basketball, what you do, you know, my dad got me a basketball hoop in front of my garage. And what I did was I just practiced shooting all day. I just practiced shooting all day. And I was like pretty good at it. But what you, but you know what? When you play basketball, the first thing you got to do, you got to dribble the ball. <laughs> and I can't dribble the ball without looking at the ball, <laughs> which is bad in basketball because they know exactly where you're going. You know what I mean? And like, and like that, you got to, you know, when you learn something, you got to know the fundamentals first. You got to know what comes first. I mean, when you learn basketball, you got to learn how to dribble. You don't even need a net. When you first start out, dribble the ball. Right hand, left hand, right hand, and then start dribble it while you're walking, dribble it while you're running, and then you start shooting. You know what I mean? First thing that you should do in shooting should be a layup. Run up there and you put the ball up. The easiest shot in basketball. Everybody say, the fundamentals, you got to know how to do a layup. If you don't know how to do a layup, you suck at basketball. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in that same way, the main point of my message is simple. You got to know what comes first. First things must come first. You got to know the fundamentals, the, fund- the foundational things. If you don't get this now, all the rest of the sermons that follow, it's not going to come together for you. You know, you're going to be like that basketball player 
trying to play a game of gap basketball without knowing how to dribble. Getting caught for traveling all the time. You got to know the foundational. You might be busy. You might be serving God. You might be serving the people. But it's going to feel like a distraction. It's going to feel like a distraction. You're not going to have peace in your heart unless you know the call of God on your life. And it comes from knowing the fundamentals. But if you put first things first, your sense of call will go deeper. You'll develop it. And, and the details of God's call will come to you naturally. It'll just, you're just, man, this is what God wants from me right now. You're just going to know. It's just going to come to you. You'll be so close to the Lord that everything that you do will proceed from his guidance and wisdom. And, and you, will, you will know the priorities. You will know what comes first. But when you're distracted and you're putting things, you're not putting th- first things first, we're not, you're not hitting the fundamentals, you know, the sense of call will suffer, you're going to start doubting yourself. You're going to be like, man, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Now, have you ever had that moment where you're in the middle of something, you like, man, had all this passion for it, and you get to a point like, man, what is going, what am I, why am I here? What am I doing? Why, you know, you know like, why am I doing all of this? That comes from you not knowing the sense of God's call on your life. You know, your heart will start to turn sour. You know, you're going to not want to do things anymore. You're going to be like, why do I have to come to church at 11 when everybody comes at 2.30? You know, you're going to be like, why do I have to, to do this? Your heart will sour because you don't know what the call of God. You don't, you don't have that. You haven't developed that, that sense of God's call on your life. You're, you'll start to burn out. A lot of people get burnt out. They have a lot of passion, a lot of, a lot of fervor, a lot of excitement going into something, and then they burn out because they don't have a sense of calling for what they're doing. What Martha's doing here, if you read it in verse 40, it says, And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Man, she's doing some crazy stuff here. First thing she's doing is she's accusing God. Like she's accusing the Lord. Jesus, don't you care about me? Don't you care that I have to do all of this by myself? You know, don't look. Look at her. She's just sitting there. And then she commands God. Tell her to stop doing that and to help me. Her heart soured. You know, and Jesus' lesson here and in, in the words to Martha are very simple. She's saying, you know what? Put first things first and everything else will make sense. When you put first things first, when you put, when you start doing the foundational things that needs to be happening, then everything else will just make sense for you. You cutting up the apples later on, it, it, it'll be a joy. You know? So what are these things? What are these foundational things that you need to keep first? And you know what? The, the word fundamental, the word foundational, it's going to seem very simple for you. You've probably heard a lot of this. All throughout your life, going to church. But I'm going to give you the three things that you need to keep first before everything else to develop your sense of call. And the first thing is relationship. If you want to know the call of God on your life, you need to know that God, that His call, God's call is first to a person and then to a purpose. His call is first to a person. It's to a relationship. It's a fellowship. 
rather than a purpose. You know, I want to know what you want to do, what me to do, God. I want, I want you to tell me. It's like, all right, come sit at my feet. And I want to go out to the nations for you, God. You know, here, here I am. Send me. All right, come sit at my feet. In First Corinthians one nine says, God is faithful by whom you were called into a, into the fellowship of His Son Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful by whom you were called into a fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God calls us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And to him, it's the most important thing. It needs to come first. Relationship. Your relationship with the Lord needs to come first. Because it's what's most important on God's heart. Why? Because God is a God of relationship. Even him. God is three in one. Have you thought about it? God, you know, we have God, but we have God three in one the Trinity. And, and, and what that Trinity represents is a relationship. You know what I mean? It's not just one God sitting up in heaven, but it's God, Him, but because He's a God of relationship, He exists three in one. He exists in a relationship. In that way, what's most important to Him is relationship. If before... You know, I started a relationship with Mina. If, if like, I, like, I saw her one day, and I just started doing all these nice things for her. Like, you know, like buying her all these gifts. You know, like, you know, doing all these things for her. She's, she'll like it. But it's not going to be meaningful. It's not going to mean anything to her, right? She might actually think it's a little creepy. You know? Until that relationship comes first, only then will that 1.1 carat diamond that's on her finger that I saved up for years to buy, only then will it mean something. If that relationship isn't there, she'd probably sell it to buy a car or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's like, man, thanks. How much can I get for this? You know? In that way, that, you know, for God, his relationship with us must come first. When that relationship isn't there, everything that we do to God, it's, it, it's like all secondary. It's all meaningless. Relationship comes first. His call for us is first to a person, then to a purpose. We need to develop and nurture our relationship with the Lord. You know, that's why we emphasize quiet time. You know, quiet time is very important. Because what? It's a time where we spend with God. We're developing that relationship. But even quiet time can sometimes replace your relationship with the Lord. If it's not a means to developing your relationship. Some people, quiet time, it's like a machine. Quiet time, quiet time, quiet time, quiet time. And all that quiet time, there's no developing of that relationship. Then it's a distraction. I'm not saying don't do your quiet time. You guys all need to do your quiet time. You guys have to spend time in the Word, spend time you know, in prayer. That it needs to be a means to have a relationship with him. It has to be a relationship. It's like this. It's like me dating my wife, right? Like we're married now. And, you know, as a married couple, I need to take my wife on dates or she gets cranky, right? I need to take her to movies, take her to restaurants, you know, take her to, you know, places. But if those dates replace my intimacy that I have with my wife, then something's wrong. If I, if I say, all right, all I have to do is 
take her to a movie on Tuesday, take her to the, the dinner on Wednesday, and I'm cool. And there's no interaction. There's no real connection. Then th- even those dates, which are a necessity, become a distraction. We need to put God first into relationship. Now, when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, come and follow these plans that I have for you. But he said, no, come and follow me. He called them into a relationship. In Matthew 17, we read about the transfiguration. What happens at the transfiguration? Jesus takes John, Peter, and James. You know, he's, these are his favorites. You know, JG, Jesus actually played favorites. You know? and these are the people, the three that he really loved the most. You know? And then he t- takes them up in this man- mountain, and then Jesus transfigures. And his Moses and, and, I, and, and Isaiah, not Isaiah, uh, Elijah, and Jesus sitting there. And, 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 and Jesus wants to bring him into this, the, most, the most sacred part of who he is. He actually wants to reveal his deity to Peter and to James and to John. And what does Peter do? Jesus, this is great. I'm going to make you a tent. I'll make you a tent for Elijah. I'll make a tent for Moses. And I can, I'll make a tent for you. And then we can all sit here. And then what did God says? God's voice comes like, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Shut up. Listen to him. You know what I mean? But, but Peter was so, so distracted by the things that he could do, what he can do, that he failed to, to, to fully experience this incredible moment. It's God revealing. Basically, it's like the God revealing himself to Moses. It's like this is the transfiguration. It's like this, this most, this, it's like the intimate, most intimate thing that Jesus can actually kind of, you know, do before he goes out and then dies and gets resurrected. And then Peter's like, Man, I'm going to build a tent for you guys. <laughs> He's so busy. He was so distracted that he almost missed it. God's call is first to a person before a purpose. And if you don't get this down, if, you don't, if you're not living your life in this paradigm, you know, everything's going to feel out of order. So that's the first thing is relationship. Another first that you need to put first is character. Before God calls you into anything, he's more interested in who you're becoming than what you can do for him. He's more concerned about who you're becoming than what you can do for him. He's looking for character. You know, God just not, he's not all about getting things done. But he's about getting things done and how you get it done. And in what attitude that you get these things done. And in, what's, you know, in, in the character and that you do it. He's about character. God calls us to live a holy and sanctified life. Why? So that we can look good in front of people. So that, you know, when we see non-Christians, that we can be like, you know, be like us. Why? Why does God call us to be holy and sanctified? You guys should know. Yes. He says, be holy. Because I am holy. You know, and it comes back to that relationship. When we're holy... We get a better revelation of God's goodness. And it increases that relationship with him. He wants us, he wants us to be conformed in the image of his son. Be holy, for I am holy. He wants us to live a life of character. You know, and when you look at character, it's not about how good you are. Uh, how good you are is a small part of your character. 
Like, wow, look at Sarah Boyle. Look at all that character she got. Working so hard, media team, doing all these things. But you know what? Character, it needs to point back to the relationship that you have with God. Why? Because, man, I only see a small part of Sarah Boyle's character. I don't, I don't fully see her heart. Who, who's the only one that can see her heart? It says in the word of God, God is the only one that can see our hearts. It says, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It says in 1 Kings, for you, you only know the heart of all the children of mankind. God is concerned about your character more than anything else. You know, he wants you to build your character. He wants you to build, be built up in character and holiness and faith so that he can, he can assign bigger things into your life, bigger roles, bigger assignments. Now, one of our, 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 our fourth core values is be faithful in the small things. We don't do this so that we can have people to mop the floors, no, so that we can have people to clean the bathrooms. This is a core value is because it reflects the heart of God. That God wants us to have character. God wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be holy because He is holy. Now, this means, yeah, you're supposed to get excited about the spiritual gifts, about the anointing. But before all that, you got to get excited about building a relationship with God, building that character with God. You're supposed to be all about the miracles, signs, and wonders. Our church. We're about miracles, signs, and wonders. We're about seeing, like, you know, prophetic words go out. And, and yeah. But before, before that even gets started, you got to know that God's looking at your character. You need to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit before you go after the gifts of the Spirit. You need to, you know what, and if you don't have the fruits of the Spirit, your gifts aren't going to be as effective. All that gifts that you have, if you don't have the fruits, to back it up, it's just going to fizzle away. You know, and David is an example of a man with character, amen? He, he was, you know, he had a moment of weakness with Bathsheba. Never say that name right. But if you look at the, the, all the kings of Israel, he was the only one that the Lord looked and said, you know what? His heart is like mine. You know, David was a man of character. And if you look at David, he had years and years in which God was able to develop his character. You know, he was, when he was a little kid, he was out there in the wilderness with the sheep. And then when he got anointed king by Samuel, he had another years before he could actually take the throne. And in that time, and all that time when, when Saul was coming after him and, and, and David was running and, and hiding in the caves, it was all time where God can develop his character. It all had a purpose. Because David had a sense of call. He understood that all the, all the tending the sheep and running away from Saul and doing all of this, sleeping in caves, was all for a purpose. And when you have a sense of call, no matter what you go through, no matter what detours and bumps in the road you might face, whatever suffering or hardship that you might endure, you know it's all pointing to a purpose. And you're going to be able to endure it. And you're going to be able to do it with joy. Because you know that it's just for a little while. And you know that God will vindicate you in the end. God will raise you up. He will fulfill that call that he has in your life. 
But you need that character. Without that character, you're just going to be like, man, why am I doing this? You need that call on your life. Without it, you're going to be like, why am I sleeping in this cave? Why is this madman coming after me, man? I'm just going to move. I don't want to be king anymore. I don't want all this. But David had a, he had a call. And that call that, which came, that God gave him early on, and then, and then the years of God developing his character, no matter what he went through, he was able to endure it. Because what? He knew in the end God was going to vindicate him. He knew in the end it was gonna, he was going to fulfill his calling. And it wasn't about him, but it was about God. We need that character. That's the second thing that we need to put first in developing our sense of call is character. You guys have to be walking in character, in holiness, and in faith. And the third, the last thing that I'm going to talk about is obedience. It says to obey is better than sacrifice. God is looking for obedience in your life. And you look at the history of Noah. God had a mighty plan for Noah. He had a plan to, to, to destroy all the, the, the corruption that was in the land and, and establish with him a new covenant and basically restart humanity. But what did he do? Did he, did he ask Noah, man, Noah, what should we do? Should we, you know, like, give me your plan, proposal, and how to do this? No. God just gave him a plan and said, obey. Build this ark. And he's like, what are you talking about? An ark? Animals two by two? Raining 40 days of what? But what did, Noah, what did he do? He just obeyed. He obeyed. He just followed through. He did what God commanded him to do. And you know what? God is more concerned about your obedience than anything that you can ever do for him. He's more concerned about your obedience than sacrifice. It says to, to obey is better than sacrifice. You know, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac. Why? Because God, needed, God wanted a young Hebrew boy to be sacrificed so he'd feel happy? Do you think that's right? No. God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac so that he can see his obedience and say, man, I want to I see how, if he obeys or not. I want to see his, his heart. Does he have a heart of obedience? That, you know? But for us, we think it's all about sacrifice. God, I'm going to do this for you. God, I want to Oh, God, I'm going to go and, and pack out stadiums and, 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 and preach and send out the gospel and bring all these people to the Lord. I, I, I'm going to do this for you, God. I'm going to sacrifice my life and do this for you. And God's like, all right, mop the floors. And I'm like, God, I want to be a worship leader like Chris Kualala. And I want to I wanna go out and, 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 and do worship and bring people into the, the presence of the, the throne room of God. And I want to be this powerful worship leader. I'm going to do it for you, God. And God's like, all right, great. Uh, mop the floors. <laughs> God wants to see your obedience. He's, he wants to see if you're going to be obedient or not. Because he's all about obedience. He puts obedience first. Will you be faithful in the small things? that sound familiar? Because those who are faithful with the small things, he will entrust with the greater things. It's our fourth, it's our fourth core value. You know, be faithful in the small things. And it's because it's something that's on the heart of our Father. And I'm not telling you not to dream dreams. Our, our, our ninth core value is to b- dream big. I'm not telling you to not have these dreams. 
But you know what? You're never going to realize these dreams unless you're living a life of obedience. You might have all these dreams. You might actually have a calling to do all these amazing, great things. But unless you're walking in obedience, you're never going to fulfill them in your life. Yeah, we dream big dreams, bigger than you have now. But you have to first do what first comes first. And you need to be obedient. God is looking for obedience first. It says in Acts 17.25 that God, who created the heavens and the earth, doesn't live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed something. And we think that God needs us to serve him. But God is not served by man. He doesn't need us to serve him. He needs us to, he wants us to, to obey in order to develop your sense of call, you need to put first things first. You need to put relationship with God first. You need to put character first. You need to put obedience first. And when you put these things first, God will reveal the details of your call, and it will come more naturally. It will come with more clarity. You're going to be able to receive it, get it quickly. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works it in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, God can easily reveal the, all the plans that he has for you right now. Zap, you got it. You know, like, zzz, you're going to marry this person. You're going to have these kids. You're going to live here. And then on this day, you're going to move over here. And you're going to have these grandchildren. And you're going to retire and you're going to die. You're going to have all, he could give you right now, you download into your head his perfect plan for your life. But it doesn't mean that you're going to come to, that's going to come to fruition. It doesn't mean that you can actually carry it out. Why? Because when you, when you think you got it all figured out, when, 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 when he gives you his complete plan for you today, who becomes the Lord of your life? Me. You're like, oh, God, I know what I'm supposed to do. All right, thanks. I'll see you later. See you in heaven. Peace out. He can give you his complete plan for you, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you will follow through with him. That's why he keeps those details a mystery. You know, some people are out there living their life as if they got it all figured out. They got the next 50 years of their lives mapped out. And, you know, they're not putting first things first. They're not cultivating that sense of call. And all of a sudden... 20 years from now, they're like, man, what am I doing? How did I end up here? I thought that I had it all figured out. But it's going to be too late. That's why God keeps these details a mystery. Because he wants you to remain close to him. He can give it to you little by little. So, he's, so you're dependent on him. And so we can't mess it up. You have to keep first things first. You know, some of you guys might be, you'll be able to find yourself being obedient, you know, in one area. But when you don't, when the tough times come and when you don't have that sense of call, you're not going to want to remain there. You know, you'd be like, right now it's easy to serve New Philly. Like, yeah, man, I'll clean up these floors. You know, I'll come early to Sunday swim. I'll do all of this. But, you know, if you don't have a sense of call on your life, down the road, when tough time comes, when something else pops up, you're going to be like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. 
You know what I mean? Some of you guys with 10-year commitments. We have in our church like over 100 people that made a 10-year commitment to New Philadelphia Church. And you know, some of those people kind of went into it like, all right, I'll just do it. But you know what? Halfway down the line, if you don't have a sense of call on their life, they're going to be like, man, what did I, what am I, what was I thinking? I don't want to live in Korea for 10 years. I'm going to go back to Philadelphia or I'm going to go back to California. I'm going to go start a business somewhere. I don't want to do all this. And you lose, you lose that. You lose that passion that you had because it wasn't grounded in the call that God gave for you. But if you keep first things first, you can go through any hardship because you know that God has a plan for your life. God doesn't want you to just drift around from place to place, going from job to job without a purpose. He wants you to live for a purpose. And it comes from putting these things first, putting the relationship. God's looking at the relationship more than anything else. He's looking at your obedience. He's not looking for sacrifice. You have to put first things first. God is a God that has amazing plans for every single one of you guys. I want you guys to all close your eyes. He has amazing plans for you. He has a plan. He has a plan to, to prosper you. He has a plan to, to give you a hope and a future. He has a plan to do give you good things. He has all these plans. But in order for you to really fully realize these plans, you have to cultivate. You have to cultivate a sense of your calling. You gotta develop a sense of calling. That God gives you. And this comes, the first of, of first thing to developing it is to understand what comes first. You can't be like Martha. God, I want to do, God, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut these apples for you. God, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll clean up the kitchen for you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve the people that follow you. But Jesus is saying, you know what? Martha, come sit at my feet. Develop this relationship. I want to see your heart. I want to see your obedience. I want to see your character. Because that's what's more important to you. What you're becoming is way more important than what you can ever do for me. You know what? It's a relationship. He's saying, you know what? You're more important to me than anything that you can do for me. It's like a baby. You know, when, when Pastor Benjamin was here and Alethe was here... Pastor Benjamin wasn't interested in how much Alethea will eventually make to, to the money to support his ministry. He's not interested in, in all the things that Alethea will, will do for him. He's just interested in Alethea. Like, that's my daughter. I'm interested in this relationship that I have with her, how close and intimate it is. I'm interested in the character that she's growing up in. And I'm interested in if she's going to be obedient to me. That's the heart of a father. Do you guys see it? When a father sees a baby, he's not looking at all the great things. If he is, he's got it twisted. But our father looks at us. And he's not interested right now 
in all the things that we can do for him. He's not interested in all the great things that we can do. He's interested in this relationship. He's like, this is my son. I love him. I want to get to know him. I want him to love me. I want to have this, this goo-goo-gaga relationship where it feels so good. And then out of this relationship, I want him to have good character. And I want him to, to, to be obedient so that he follows my ways. That comes first, brothers and sisters. And if right now, if that's not first in your paradigm, things got to shift. If you're trying to do all these great things for God and that's not there, you're gonna, it's going to feel out of whack. And I know it's bringing conviction into this room because it's bringing conviction into my heart right now. All of us, we all need to look at what comes first. Father God, I just pray and I declare that this house will be a house that puts first things first, God. That we want to be children. We want to be sons of God with character. We want to be sons of God who are obedient. And we, we want to be sons in that we want to have this relationship with you, God. We want to be love struck. We want to be in love with you. We want to be intimate. We want to be in that place where we can't go on without spending time with you. We can't go on without being in your presence. Lord, bring us into that heart. Bring us into that place, Lord. Help us to be a people that, that are cultivating, that are developing a sense of your call. That we know what you want us to do because we're so close to you. We know what we're supposed to do because we never left you. You're right by our side. And, and I'm depending on every little thing from you. Every little thing. Without you, I have nothing. But with you, I got everything. And because I never left you, because I'm always close to you, I know what you want me to do. That is what it, that's, what it's, that's what it's all about. God, I just pray right now that you will be raising up sons in this house right now. That you are, you are, you're bringing down sonship. This is what sonship is. It's to know the heart of the Father. To obey. To grow in character. To not just to, to, not just to hear the word of God, but to do the word of God. And, and, and right now, I know we're getting, some of you are getting convicted. I'm getting convicted. And that, that, that place of conviction is good. God's saying, you know what? Start putting first things first. Start putting first things first. It's not too late. Brothers and sisters, it's not too late. You can start putting first things first now. It's not too late. God's inviting you into that. Father God, we, I bless everyone in this place. And we pray, Lord, that you're raising up a mighty generation of sons. Lord, that are intimate with you, that are built on character and holiness and righteousness and faith, Lord, and a people that are obedient to who you are, Lord. Obedient. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close this worship with a closing song. Everybody stand up.